Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to SinSensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. We will speak to Joel Block, an award-winning psychologist, and he specializes in couple therapy and is author of over 20 books on love and sex. And today we'll talk to him about his new book, The 15-Minute Relationship Fix. You'll learn how a simple conversational framework can transform your relationship into intimacy. And just stick to the end of the podcast and you'll get the whole framework so you can apply this to your relationship immediately. This podcast is made by Sensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to Sensor.com and sign up. Obviously, your book, The 15-Minute Relationship Fix. Um, can you tell us a bit about, first of all, I just want to start on a more personal note, so maybe if you could just share a bit about what made you actually write that book in the first place because I often find there's some kind of motivation why people decide to dive into something. Well, two things. One, I specialize in dealing with couples and and other relationships. And when I look back, it's very obvious. I grew up in Brooklyn and um, it was in the 50s when um, the term divorce wasn't even in, in the lexicon. Well, my mother was married three times, and it was tough. I was a stepchild twice, so it's pretty obvious to me why I was drawn to fixing relationships. And um, a lot of the books that, and I've done a bunch of them myself, um, talk about a problem in relationships, but they're very weak on solutions. They do a very good job in terms of really looking into the issue, but not enough in terms of what do you do about the issue. The 15-minute 15 15 relationship fix is all about the fix. So um, it touches on all the factors that need to be fixed, like listening. Most people have, um, in terms of the communication thing, they have half of it done. That is the talk part. The listening part, they're really weak on. So things like that. Being able to talk and not feel like it's going to be used against you. Um, the, you want me to talk a little bit about how the emotional conference works? Yeah, so first of all, I want to thank you for bringing that up because, again, having read a lot of books myself on relationship, I agree there's a lot of interesting academic research, but a lot of it focuses on, on seeing problems without actually providing a, a clear solution, which is obviously what we need for these theories to be workable. And what I really liked about your book, and I recommend people get it, is that... It's not full of tons of long theories. It's obviously based on a theoretical background, which is clear, but also you made it really to the point and practical. And again, it kind of is in the title, a 15-minute relationship fix. So um, yeah, I really like that. And I would love for you, like you said yourself now, if you can tell us a bit about what the emotional conference is, what it does, and how to even do it, because I think most people don't even know what that term means. Okay, good. I, I look forward to that. So here's... Um, first of all, people are going to have, and I did this with my wife for two years, every Monday night. And if we missed a Monday, we did it during the week, made it up. And why did we do it? And why did I come up with the emotional conference? Because we were, we were doing what other people do. That is, we have an argument. At the end of the argument, it was worse than it was to begin with. 
we made it worse. Back and forth, not listening to each other. So the emotional conference has several parts. First, um, you do a conference with yourself during the week. In other words, let's say you're going to have a conference on Wednesday nights, and it's better, and it's suggested in the book that um, you have a set time, put aside. No one has to remind you. If it's at the kitchen table, 8 o'clock on Wednesday night, just show up. But before you show up, during the week, give some thought to what you want to talk about. Go through it in terms of what is it that, and it has no timeline. It's something that has to do with the two of you. It may not always have to do with the two of you. It could be something that happened to you that the other person wasn't involved in. Um, or it could be um, something that, um, that didn't happen to the two of you, that wasn't with the two of you, but it was um, something else, something else you want to talk about and you want to be heard. So you're giving some thought to that. At the emotional conference, three things occur. One, you talk about the incident, and again, it's brief. This is really 15 minutes. You're talking about the incident in a sentence or two. Just the, if it involves the other person, the other person was there, you don't have to go through all the details. It's a sentence or two. And then you're teaching the person about your psychology. Whatever the incident was, you're talking about how you processed it, how it made you feel. It's about your psychology. The other person is listening. There's no interruption. And that's a strict rule. The second part of it is, after you've talked about your psychology, the second part is you connect with anything from your childhood. And basically, if there's something that goes on with your childhood that it touched into that, usually you have a disproportionate reaction. For example, I was a lucky kid before the term was around. That means that my mother worked full-time. She was a single parent in between marriages. And we lived in an apartment house, six-story apartment house in Brooklyn. If I forgot my key and she worked evenings, I had to sit in the hallway and wait for her to come home. So one day I went out for, this is now years later, I went out for a run. And um, when I came back, the door was locked. I got hysterical. What, what, what must have happened is that someone, uh, one of the kids left one, let one of the animals out and just automatically locked the door. They didn't even know I was out. But I had a disproportionate reaction. And when I thought about it, I felt locked out the way I felt as a kid. So that's the second part. The first part of the emotional conference is here's what happened. Here's how I processed it. The second part is is there some connection to my childhood? And usually there is. And the third part, very important, is what do I own in this? That is, uh, we form a system. Myself or the person and their partner forms a system. And that system doesn't is not 100% one person, zero the other person. It may not be 50-50, but you always own a part. The word is always. And if you're not finding it, you're not looking hard enough. What's happening while you're doing this? The other person is listening. You're probably hearing two voices, yours, and another voice arguing with you internally. It takes, in my experience, about three months of doing this once a week before you only hear one voice. It's a different experience. We just hear the person. 
and you're listening. When you're finished, five minutes, the whole thing, the other person takes a couple of minutes and repeats what you said to your approval. In other words, that that was the message sent, the message received. Now that's not necessarily validating. It takes some time for people to get to that. Right now, when people start the emotional conference, it just has to do with repeating what the person said enough so that they see that you're listening. Then the other person goes and does the same thing. And then you speak to them in terms of your understanding, not analyzing, not judging, just show them that the message sent was the message received. Period. The emotional conference is over. Well, what happens if after the emotional conference, people ask um, if you're um, a little bit um, unsettled? Well, part of it is in terms of dealing with building emotional muscle is that you wait until the next week and then you talk about your feelings about the emotional conference, if there are any. You have to hold on to that. And building emotional muscle is extremely important, not to be reactive, but to be responsive. So that's the 15 minutes, that's the emotional conference. And um, I worked with that in terms of developing it over a number of years before I went to a publisher. It's my, it's the book that I'm most proud of. I've written some, a whole bunch of books and I like many of them. Some of them are from 20, 20 something years ago are still in print and still selling. I still like this one the best in terms of the usefulness of it. Thank you so much, Joel, for outlining that in such a great, simple and practical way. And I, I agree. I think it's a super impactful book and I read it really fast again this is why i i recommend it and i get no commission for saying that i generally believe that it's so straightforward and yet so impactful and it encompass so many things teaching us emotional intelligence teaching us emotional self-regulation and a lot of overall skills that we get to practice in this that are good not just in relationship but in life in general and i think one question i had as i listened to this was how do couples avoid getting caught up in that typical cycle of a blame game. So in, even when a couple describe maybe an experience they had that week, let's say, you know, I had an alkanation or a challenging circumstance with my partner and I sit down and I describe that. How do I kind of avoid going into that blame that again will shut her down and then we suddenly end up breaking the rules of the conference and, and it becomes a normal argument. Is there some strategies maybe that you can help people with if they have a strong tendency to do that? Yes. Actually, you bring up a great point because there's such a strong um, motivation to point to the other person. One of the things that I left out, in terms of the emotional conference, when you're speaking about your psychology, the pronoun is me, I, not you. Because that's a very important point. And, uh, and when I have a couple in the office um, and they slip into the U, we pull back and we get back to, it, it takes, we get back to the I, how does it impact you? Not in terms of what the other person did, but how does this make you feel? What went on with you? 
And that takes a little time for a person to get out of the blame game because the blame game is, uh, it feels it's, it's um, um, something that makes relationships worse, but it feels somehow good doing it, pointing at the other person. They're the problem. And it's such an important point. So I just really want to emphasize this, which is also why I asked the question, because I remember that in the book and I really wanted you to bring that up. So for couples or people listening out there, really to remember to focus on the experience and the impact on them rather than on what they feel happened to them. Um, and because you're right, then we can stay in the eye and we avoid going into that blame game. So, And that's part of what I also saw in the model, which is so useful in this emotional conference and I think the second thing which relate very much to what we just talked about is then we talked about how the one expressing can avoid starting blaming but now I'm trying to take the position of the listener and obviously hearing this even without blame can sometimes be difficult and triggering because I obviously like you said have all my own childhood stories going on and some of these things might trigger me and those painful wounds so how can I as a listener try to manage I guess my triggers my emotions so I don't suddenly break the the barriers or the the framework of of this emotional conference well you know one of the things that um, um, somewhat related to what you're asking which um, is very interesting to me is what people find in the emotional conference you have to be doing it some time let's say even a few months they find out they only have actually one issue between them. And it's played over and over in its variations. So most people have a theme in their relationship and they find that um, that's what that's what they're arguing about. The same thing. Variations of, the, of that, but it's really the same issue. And the same issue is something that um, oftentimes most of the time, goes back to the childhood. Um, the adaptive behavior we learn in childhood, the behaviors that help us survive as in our family of origin, oftentimes turn out to be exactly what interferes with our adult love relationships. Give me, I'll give you an example. So one person was talking about um, how their partner avoids and avoids and avoids and problems pile up. And the other person in the emotional conference was talking about how in their family of origin, there was so much fighting. And in fact, there was times that this person was talking about that she would hide behind the couch when her parents were fighting. So her adaptive behavior was to avoid issues and it helped to get through her childhood. But in her adulthood and her adult relationship, it was driving her partner's a partner nuts in terms of we, we never deal with anything. You're always avoiding. Um, it took some time when she looked at what she was talking about in her emotional conference to see that theme. But that's happened in various ways many, many times that people see over time that they're really talking about the same thing, variations on a theme. And once they get a handle on that theme, they have a powerful... Um, weapon against it in terms of here's the problem because most people are fighting they have no clue what the real problem is yeah thank you Joel I think again beautiful point and they even I don't know if you would agree it sounds like there's some correlations also to what you're mentioning to 
uh, attachment theory and the fact that we have this one fundamental strategy, a wound, you can say, from our childhood that we learned to then use that strategy to keep us safe. And if we can find that one trigger or wound, then we can understand our behavior much better and see what is the the tri- and I can even see that in you know myself both in, in with my ex-wife but also with my partner at the moment how and luckily I have so much more self-awareness now to be able to see that same pattern that comes up again and again and when I feel unsafe and luckily I can now communicate that in a vulnerable way rather than than from a triggered place so yeah I can only you know say how much value there is in finding that core wound as as I think you kind of are describing here and how that helped us then be able to manage that rather than be controlled by it and and keep living through those same patterns again and again and again. And um, the other part of that is building up um, the the emotional muscle that allows you to be vulnerable. Um, And that's very important because... um, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and one of the things that in our conversation we were talking about infidelity, and I said to the person, you know, one of the things that isn't really written about, and I've written about infidelity, a couple of books actually, is um, the role that vulnerability plays. And that when you take on a lover and you're married or you're in another relationship, your vulnerability decreases. You've uh, sort of spread out the possibility of um, being rejected or just not liked or anything in terms of um, you've protected your vulnerability. Most people don't see that. that They just feel, well, no, I'm in love with this other person as well. And they may well be, but um, they're looking for another person. really has to do with vulnerability that they may be felt too vulnerable in their in their primary relationship and um, you know the story I tell in terms of vulnerability and and by the way um, I look at being able to talk about your feelings safely over time um, helps you deal with your vulnerability here's the story it's um, getting near tax time four guys are at a social gathering one guy says they're talking about how much money you can put in your retirement account. And one guy says, you know, Jimmy, I was talking to him about that, how much he could put in as percentages of, of his income. And Jimmy said, well, you know, I don't really keep track of my income. And one of the other guys says, really, Jimmy's kind of, um, he's a space cadet. And the third guy kind of chimes in and says something similar. How could someone not keep track of their income? Now, the fourth guy listening in on this, standing then with the other guys, is thinking, you know what? I don't keep that trap close check of um, my income either. What's he going to do? Is he going to keep quiet and not say anything? Is he going to go along and sort of nod with the other guys? Or is he going to get naked in a sense and say, you know what? I don't keep track either. But if he does that, he's exposing himself. Three guys just making fun of someone who doesn't keep track of their income. This guy going to be who he is? Or is he going to hide from who he is? 
what I'm finding is with the emotional conference, since you're safely, and it takes some time, but since you're safely talking about your feelings and who you are, you take that outside your relationship in your life and you feel different. You don't have to hide from who you are. That's the, um, that's the part that has to do with um, being able, building up emotional strength. And I'm really happy you brought that up because being vulnerable is something that's, I think, so challenging for so many of us, especially in this culture of being disposable where people are on apps and they feel they can just find another person so easily um, that have made it maybe even harder to open up and actually be be vulnerable. And I was speaking to a woman recently who said to me, you know, I've never fully experienced intimacy. And she said, what what do how can i experience intimacy and i i said to her i think there are three fundamental steps that we have to learn i think one is we need to feel safe because without safe we can't open up and the second step is then being able to open up and be vulnerable which i think we can only do when we first feel safe and the last step is to be accepted and seen by the other person And I believe that's a space where intimacy is able to grow. And I believe that when I read Emotional Conferencing in your book, I feel that's what it provides. It provides a platform for safety, first of all, within if people follow the framework. And it provides a place where people can be vulnerable and it provides a place to be heard and seen. So it kind of encompasses these three elements that I told this woman about, which is why I think it's so useful because... I believe that's a space where intimacy between two people can really flourish. And I think as you were describing the emotional conference process, I one thing that popped into me though, and, and I wanted to ask you about, is that this process does seem to require self-awareness and also a level of, I guess, prefrontal cortex self-control over emotional circuit. And is there tools or ways that people can try to develop these things if they struggle with that because some people obviously struggle with self-control they easily snap get aggressive um, and some people struggle because they never really practice i guess the muscles of self-awareness is there some exercises tools that people can also use that might help them enhance these these parts that they need to do emotional conferencing well first um, um here's an interesting observation since i've done the um, emotional conference with a whole bunch of couples. One of the things that I wondered about, and which is just almost obvious, are you going to trust the other person with your feelings? And the organic process that I've noticed, and it's been pretty consistent, um, people actually um, meter their um, their expression in the sense of what I mean by that is. Um, are they going to start with something that practically freaks them out in terms of very intimate, some something that really um, hit them deep? No. They'll start out with uh, something that's um, pretty um, low level in terms of, uh, you know, you promise you'd, you'd, you'd uh, empty the dishwasher or, you know, it's just some practical stuff. And slowly, as they develop trust in each other, and as they see the, the other, each of them following the rules, which keeps safety intact, 
it goes deeper and deeper over time. Um, the other part that you bring up, and I don't have a real um, solid solution for this, but I think I have a decent solution, and that is um, people get in the habit of having the emotional confidence first with themselves. So with all the screens that people are looking at and all the things that go on in people's busy lives, um, the book suggests taking out a few minutes. Um, again, you're having emotional confidence, say, on a Wednesday night. Um, sometime earlier in that week or in the latter part of the previous week, take a few minutes and think about the emotional confidence. What do you want to talk about? The book suggests asking yourself some questions. Why are you talking about this? What about this bothers you? How come it bothers you? So the key that I'm presenting in terms of dealing with, with self-awareness is spend a little time with yourself each week. Uh, again, I, I look at this as like going to a gym. If you do that just for a few minutes, just as if you went to a gym for a few minutes each week and got into the habit of it, it'll grow. And that's what I've experienced in terms of people spending the time. They'll actually thank me. It's not me, it's them. Thank me for the awareness that's, that's been growing in terms of they see more and more of who they are, how they react to things, why they react, the way they react. Um, and all it took was spending some time giving some thought to it. It's there. But most people go through, you know, it's like the week passes by in a breeze and they spend no time with, the, with themselves. So that's what I suggest. Yeah, have an emotional conference uh, with yourself in preparation for the emotional conference you're going to have with your partner. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because emotional conference in itself developed that skill for self-reflection. Um, and I, that's what I see as well when I read about it. And I also really like your point about vulnerability. And because uh, the main reason people don't want to be vulnerable is because they don't feel safe. And I think the way you describe is very much what I've told people in the past when asked that question is start with smaller vulnerabilities and see is your partner able to hear you and meet you with that acceptance of, of what you're expressing. And then, of course, increase them as, as we feel we are being met. Um, and I think you kind of answered this a little bit already in this question about how to practice self-awareness. I still just want to still bring this question up because I feel very often women obviously have more practice in the language of emotion. I think culturally it's more acceptable for women to express and discuss emotions as children, while I feel for a lot of men this is quite difficult because we shut ourselves down early on. And I don't really believe this saying that, oh, it's because women are more emotional and also the science I've looked at doesn't really point to that. It's more that we seem to have not, we've forgotten that language. It's like we haven't used it because a lot of men were shamed. I remember being told on the playground, just get up, don't cry. And, you know, be a man, don't be a wuss and all this stuff. So I simply lost that language. And I remember going to a somatic training in somatic therapy. And they were talking about sensing in our body when we feel tense and I just couldn't feel anything. And again, it seemed to all, and I think you mentioned a bit because you said it's about practicing that skill. Um, and I think especially for men, this might require a bit more practice than for women. So again, also just a reminder, I guess, for people to be patient with each other, right? Because some people are more skilled at this naturally than others. So I guess when a couple started, it might be for one more natural and for the other 
might struggle. Do you have any kind of ideas or tips of how people can support each other if they start from a very different starting point? And like I said, it might be much easier for one person to do emotional conferencing than for the other. Yeah, well, you know, you bring up a good point in terms of um, typically, um, and again, there are certainly exceptions, but typically boys get less lap time. Um, if a boy falls and scrapes his knee, kind of be a big boy, don't cry. If a girl falls and scrapes her knee, oh, poor baby, come come to daddy. Um, so there is that conditioning. You know, it's not exclusively one way or the other, but there is that trend. Um, one of the things I find is in terms of the emotional conference, um, if the if the more female partner between the two of them um, is responding again. I've done my five minutes. Now the other person, what they're doing is they're not judging or or making some um, analytic type comment. They're just commuting, communicating in a way that um, uh, demonstrates that they heard me. Um, once that occurs. And what, what I found also in this process over time is that because one of the questions, and I have questions in the back of the book that are not my questions, they're questions that came from people who I did the emotional conference with. And um, one of the questions is, um, well, you're just having people repeat what the other person said. What about empathy? And my experience with this is First, it's, it's, it's not a one-step process. It's um, first, you just have to listen carefully. As I said earlier, people's experience is that they're hearing two voices. They're hearing the person talk, but they're arguing back in their head with the person. And that takes some time. It takes usually a few months before that quiets down and you're just listening. And once you're doing that, and then you start responding more empathically, the other person feels safer. Um, we're very resilient. So you could have, I understand what you're talking about in terms of the more male experience, whether you're male or female, but the more male experience, um, it throws caution into you. But if you really feel like the other person is listening and validating what you're saying, um, it's not an instant fix, but it does work it takes some time and the other person softens up you don't need some special thing all you need to do is really feel like you're understood and validated and i explain to people validating doesn't mean you necessarily have to agree it's demonstrating your understanding and that's if you don't have understanding you don't have a relationship so that's not negotiable and that is such an important point i just really want to let that hang that you don't have to agree You just have to understand and acknowledge. I think that is so important because you're so right. And I think a lot of people fight back because they, they like you said, they are, feel they have to fight back because they don't agree and they want to demonstrate that. when And they don't want to say, repeat it back because they feel then it's like saying that they agree. And it's so important to remember that exactly like you said, to relate and have intimacy, we don't have to agree with our partner at all. But we do have to acknowledge their experience because that's what relating is. Um, so I just feel that was such an important point you said. And I really wanted to 
emphasize that. And I also feel, because you touch a bit on being an, an empathetic listener, um, and are there some kind of guidelines, tools, I don't know what the right way to to ask this, for people to, yeah, get better at being empathetic, because I feel, again, you can be a listener and just sit and repeat logically what's said, but that's obviously not the same as empathetically listening and try and feel the emotional experience that our partner is having. Is there any kind of guidelines, tips that people can do to to try and be more empathetic in the way they listen? Well, the other part of it is in terms of um, um, being more empathetic is um, um, I found that simply being able to repeat what the other person said is kind of um, a first step because it's not that easy for some people. In other words, they, um, um, they're listening, but they're, but they're arguing. And in terms of their feedback, um, it's taken, it takes some time for them just to, just to feedback what the person said and not put in any of their own thoughts. So once they have that foundation, um, then the questions that, that are asked of them is, so how do you think a person feels in that kind of situation? Mm-hmm. Now, some people are um, more um, naturally empathetic and some people aren't so the people who are more naturally empathetic they catch on to that quickly and sometimes they even skip over the um the part of just repeating and are repeating with feeling in terms of the empathy but for some people it takes some time but for those people my experience has been if they can listen carefully and really feedback what they heard it's a very important foundation step for being empathetic. And then they ask themselves some questions. It could even be, well, if you were in that situation, now they're not the same as the other person, but it's it's a start. If you were in that situation, how might you feel? Mm, that that's a great. How point. do you think someone else? How how do you think someone else might feel? Step out of yourself. How? What are some other ways a person might feel in that kind of situation? Um, once they start brainstorming that, because they have not done that, um, the um, relationship is usually so conflictual that to think about how the, other person, how the other person might feel is the last thing they think about, how they're feeling, and blaming the other person is really what usually goes on. Yeah, and, and I, I love this point, which naturally brings me on to to where I kind of want to go and with my next question because you mentioned that we all have this internal argument going on at the same time our own internal story as we're listening and, and that obviously takes you say several weeks maybe even months to slowly go away and we can fully listen and because I kind of want to discuss a bit more we mentioned it earlier how our childhood stories plays a part in our relationships and again how these stories constantly play out to make us interpret what the other one is saying in a different way and I can even give a very personal example that happened to me recently as my partner mentioned that she had felt into the fact that she feels she now want another child which you know is a beautiful thing that she expressed that to me um, however I didn't feel the same right now we already have three that we share and my internal story instantly became, okay, she's going to leave me for another man who can give her that. And that's, of course, 
down to my wounds, <laughs> childhood wounds, that then internally created this story. And then I had to get myself back to a place where I could actually hear that all she wanted to do was express this and her challenge of knowing that maybe I didn't want to go there with her. But my mind straight away went to this place of fear that shut me down. But again, just being aware of that story made me be able to somehow also internally regulate and realize, wow, my story is playing out now. It's actually not what she's saying. And then stop that destructive pattern. Um, and yeah, so, so that brings me kind of to the next question is, if you could maybe share a bit more about what you mentioned earlier, how these childhood stories really plays a big part in our relationship dynamics. Yeah, and by the way, um, just what you have just said, um, would you share that with your partner? Just the process you just talked about in terms of um, her talking about the possibility of having another child and what it activated in you. Because in terms of the emotional conference, that would be what you would be saying in the emotional conference. You're talking just about your feelings. Here's what happened, and here's how I responded to it internally. That's right. And this is what I loved when I read your book, because, um, yeah, I think the way you just laid it out in such a beautiful, structural way that makes it so easy for people to understand. But, yeah, I think this is something we have organically been doing which is why we have a beautiful connection and and do feel a lot of safety with each other um, and I think we both have a lot of self-awareness of how our different stories and to some extent some traumas as well play their part um, and can be able to see when those stories suddenly take over um, and yeah absolutely I have already shared this with her and actually I'm going to share it with her again tonight as we're going to sit down and and do emotional conferencing, um, which is why it's interesting I'm talking to you about this today. So absolutely. And you know, I also, um, um, this is seems rather simple, but it can get more complicated. And that is, here's how I view the whole love issue. One, you're attracted to a person physically. That's how you are, are sort of approaching another person. But the basic of it is you fall in love with a story because there there's a, could be an attractive person that um, um, when you start getting to know, you may not feel as attracted to. It's really about a story. And what happens is, um, here's how I think about it. When you first get together with each other, have your hands extended and there's a little, there's very little space between your hands. Say they're extended in front of you. And that's the closeness between the two of you. And then what happens is don't talk about this because, don't talk about that because. That will embarrass you. That might be criticized. And now your hands are going from being close together, stretched out in front of you, palms facing each other. Now they're going forward. Now they're going apart and more apart and more apart and more apart. And now you have them practically outstretched. I can walk into a restaurant. Now this is taking it a little bit far, but I can walk into a restaurant. I say this a little bit tongue in cheek and I look around. I can tell you who's having good sex. Yeah. If I see a couple sitting in the restaurant, they just practically sat down. They're just starting their meal. And they're either playing with their phone or looking around at other people. But they talked about the kids. 
maybe they talked about some work issue real quick, and they're done. Because over the time period of time, they become more. They have they have a cautious relationship. They don't have an intimate relationship. They have a cautious relationship. Over time, they found. Don't go here, you can get judged. Don't go there, you can get judged. Don't say this, it'll start an argument. Don't say this, the other person isn't interested. And they've eliminated almost everything except the safe topics, the kids, maybe a, a simple work situation. Um, and the emotional conference aims to open that up to make it safe to be able to talk about what really goes on with you, who you are. Um, so really what happens is you, you you start off with a person being attracted to them physically, and then you fall in love with a story. The problem is people don't keep up the story. In other words, they fell in love with each other, but they have to feed that love by being open with each other, get a sense of who, con convey a sense of who they are, and also um, listen to who you are but they can't listen if you're not talking about it. So when people come home from a day, even, you know, they don't have to have a, an emotional conference, but when, how was your day? It's got to go beyond fine. Because if you're doing that day after day after day after day, where's the story? Who are you? How are you developing? None of that is occurring. Um, and that, by the way, is one of the factors that, led me to, to write the book because I go into the restaurant or I'm sitting in the airport and um, I see a couple or couples, plural, who are um, sitting there, not even looking at each other. They have nothing to say at all. Oh, early in their relationship, before all the cautions, they were talking a mile a minute. They had lots and lots to say. And that's how you fall out of love. That's how you fall in love. That's how you fall out of love. Once you stop the story, who you are and how you're developing and so on, it gets stale. You know, I'd never heard it put in that beautiful, clear terms. I really, yeah, I love that clear analogy about keeping the story going. And also, I think this just as she was talking about this, it really made me think about how important it is to do emotional conference as early as possible when people are dating, not just for marriage. It should be done way before because not only is it a tool for creating intimacy and, and emotional connection and togetherness and relate um, and, and empathy, etc. I also feel it's a really good tool to actually get to know each other's story because often I think you're right we form these stories as we fall in love that are our own fictional stories of who we believe the other person is and then people get married and I heard so many times people say oh it's not at all the person I thought they were when suddenly this initial you know chemical reaction we have six months to whatever it might be up to two years goes away and it's because we never had these conversations that we could have through emotional conferences I believe where we actually really got to know each other, got a map of the other, and understood who the other person is, who their triggers are, what you know makes them feel in different ways. And having all this and understanding of each other before moving in together or marrying, I think is absolutely critical. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to put that out there because I think this is yeah such a big tool that really should be used as early as possible in a relationship. Yeah, so the point of it is, 
in a relationship is to behave in a manner toward each other that leaves both people not feeling alone. That to me is the heart of an intimate relationship, experiencing connection. And you don't just experience connection, something that's in the air, you have to create it. And by that, you need to be talking about your feelings. A a real relationship is not a business relationship, it's an emotional relationship. And if the emotions aren't there, the relationship isn't there. It's as simple as that, but as complicated as that in terms of um, we're very sensitive about our feelings. And I created the emotional conference because we need a safe way to be able to see who we are. Um, when we were kids, we were, um, we were pushed to be uh, the person in our parents' vision that we're supposed to be. We grew up with that vision in terms of from our parents. Um, and, and if people don't think that child is powerful, try something like this. Um, like when I play with kids and I'm on the floor and an adult walks by, <laughs> just looking up, I get the, the kid's eye view of what it's like to be a kid. It's so powerful. You're surrounded by giants, <laughs> the adults. Um, and um, um, so that, that part is very important in terms of continuing the story and um, um, becoming having the permission, in a sense, from the other person so they're not putting it down of um, being the person who you're meant to be, person who you're supposed to be based on your parents or anyone else. Um, if, you're, um, if you are open enough to talk about what goes on with you and you feel understood, it helps you build the foundation to be who you are. And uh, yeah, and I was just gonna say that in terms of a relationship, um, um, you know, the, the term that's used is um, so-and-so gets me. That little term that people talk about is very powerful. There's a lot behind that. When you say someone gets me, they, you're saying I feel understood by the person, not, by, not in terms of the kind of person I have to show up to be at work or something like that. No, no, in my intimate relationship, the person gets me. That's where I can really be myself. Yeah, that's, Joel, I really have appreciated this podcast. And I also think the listeners out there have got a lot of value. There's really a lot, a lot of good value in this. Um, and I so appreciate your time of coming on there. And I really want to encourage anyone to look up Dr. Joel Block um, if you want more information on the other books. And I'll provide some information as well how to do that. And also get the 15 minute relationship fix, the book. It's a short, to the point practical book so even for people that do not like to read this is really easy to digest and implement so i will highly recommend it um, as it can really make and break a relationship and more importantly because it's not just about being in a relationship it can make a relationship flourish in so many ways um, so thank you so much joel before we we hang up and let go here is there anything last thoughts that you wanted to share with the listeners then i just want to create the space for that too don't give up if you're in a relationship and it's um, not working as well as you'd like stay with it because um, if you don't you're going to take whatever the issues are probably to your next relationship you'll have a honeymoon period 
and then it'll start heading downhill. It takes some work, but um, it's worth it. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also, leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, then head over to sensensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down, the how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast.